Hey guys, welcome to this top 15 countdown of the top 15 cartoons that I grew up with in the 80s. And I can tell you guys honestly, um, for anybody watching this, you kind of understand what I'm talking about. I will understand what I'm talking about. You know, being a kid growing up in the 80s, you know, the cartoons I'm going to list off here were just a part of our childhood. It's like you could not go a weekday or a Saturday morning or even a Sunday morning without watching these shows. And I can remember uh, watching them on the television that we had. Um, if I could show you a picture of that television, I will. But this was, and if you see it, this was the television basically where I would watch a lot of my shows along with my sisters at times uh, that I grew up with in the 80s. Now, of course, throughout time, we did switch up televisions. I think, you know, we had to get new ones and uh, new, new ones once in a while because one would burn out or something like that. But yeah, this television here that you'll probably see on the screen is one of the primary examples of how I used to watch uh, a lot of my shows as a kid. And, you know, these, these, and again, they were just, you know, great memories that I have. You know, like I said, waking up every Saturday morning and Sunday morning and, you know, Sunday morning before church and Saturday morning, um, you know, getting breakfast and all that. And just like anybody else did. And, and watching these uh, these shows, you know, on different networks, syndication, you name it. Um, but yeah, anyway, I wanted to come on here, do this little intro, and, you know, lead that will lead you into this top 15 countdown of the animated cartoons that I grew up with in the 80s. And if you guys have had any memories of shows that you grew up with in the 80s, let me know down below, comment if you like. Let me know maybe in the live stream if this is a premiere or not a premiere. And, um, you know, really, that's about it. And just to let you guys know, there won't be no visual representation, you know, because I don't want to, you know, um, warrant any kind of copyright issuing or anything like that or taking a chance with copyright in this video not being shown. So you'll probably just see the logos of all the shows that I'm talking about and just hear me talking about them and my memories about them. So anyway, guys, um, hope you enjoyed the countdown. And... Um, Talk to you uh, later. So here you go, the countdown to the top 15. All right, at number 15 is Tuboteen. Now, I know you might be wondering why I listed this on the countdown. Well, mainly because it is a show I grew up with, and as a kid, I actually enjoyed. Now, I did mostly watch this show through syndication in places like the USA Cartoon Express. And, like I said, to me, as a kid, it was a show that piqued my interest. Of course, this was at a time uh, when I was watching it that I also started watching Transformers. So the idea of seeing a human turn into a car, of course, as a young child, piqued my interest. Uh, the story basically, in case you don't know, uh, the uh, main protagonist, I can't think of his name right now, um, he ends up being uh, merged with his car when they both crash through a window at a laboratory, you know, after they drive off a cliff. And by hitting, by be, and by being hit with this uh, radiation ray, 
it causes them, like I said, to merge together, that being our main protagonist and his car into one. So that anytime he gets red hot, in other words, he feels heat, um, he ends up transforming into his car. And when he gets cooled down, he transforms back to his human self. Um, I know it's a weird concept. Everybody's kind of trashed this, kind of parodied it, you know, made fun of it. But as kids in the 1980s, especially if you're a fan of Transformers or even GoBots or whatever, to see something like this come around, and I think it came around a little before or around the same time, but to see a show like this come around was really interesting. I mean, I mean, obviously it did take inspirations from a lot of things that came out around that time, like Knight Rider and, you know, My Mom the Car and stuff like that. Uh, but again, you know, for kids like me growing up at that time, it was just something that we really enjoyed and we really had fun watching. Now, unfortunately, it did only last one season. However, in that one season, it did get toys. It did get a comic book. But unfortunately, that wasn't enough to keep it going, and it ended after one season. However, it was reran, like I said, in syndication and on the USA uh, Cartoon Express, where people like me or kids like me who didn't watch it fully the first time it came out on NBC got to catch up with it uh, around uh, that time frame. Again, this was also this would be around I should say the time I was watching the likes of Transformers and GI Joe and GoBots and all that. But yeah, starting off this list at number fifteen is Turbo Teen. Again, I know you may have your differences about it, but hey. This is my list, my opinion, and again, these are shows I grew up on. So yeah, number 15 starting off the list is Turboteen, and now on to number 14. At number 14 is David the Gnome, or the world of David the Gnome. And this is a show that I watched primarily when it was on Nickelodeon. Um, it did get reran on Nick Jr. several years ago. Uh, but when I watched it back in the 1980s, mostly between its uh, origin years, which was 85 and 86, I don't know what it was, but it kept my interest. It kept my peak, you know... I think it's because mainly David, our main protagonist, was voiced by the dad from Happy Days, Tom Bo Bosley, or Bosley, Tom Bosley. And, you know, Tom, he, to me, in my opinion, as a kid, you know, obviously you could tell who it was, you know, whose voice it was coming out of David. But as a kid, I enjoyed it. I don't know what it was. I don't know what made the show you know, so appealing to a kid like me, maybe it was the mythicalness, you know, the environmental message or whatever. But for someone like me around six to seven years old, it was, it was very, it was a very good show. And of course, I think it was the reason it was also appealing to me as well was it was one of the shows that I would watch after my four hours of homeschool. Yeah, I was homeschooled, as I've mentioned before, or I haven't mentioned before. I was homeschooled from 84 to about 86. So I was a bit of a late bloomer when it came to public schooling and kindergarten and stuff like that. But as I mentioned, um, 
after homeschool, after my mom was done teaching me in homeschool, uh, she would make me make me and her lunch, and then to kind of keep me occupied, she would place me in front of the television, and I would watch some cartoons, either they were WTBS or Nickelodeon, and it was around uh, that time. Um, after lunch and everything, that you know, Nickelodeon was showing the likes of David the Gnome, the world of David the Gnome, and it caught my attention. I watched it. I think I watched it from beginning to end, and I enjoyed it. I really did. Now, of course, uh, the show only ran for two seasons, and the uh, final episode, of course, is one that everybody knows about. You know, even if you watch it today, you'll remember exactly what happens without even having to watch the whole thing. And basically, the final episode is kind of emotional. Um, you, because you didn't expect any show at that time uh, to do this to a character. Uh, basically, David and his wife Lisa. Long story short, their time is up on the world. And they have to go to the mountains of the blue beyond or something like that. And it's here in these mountains to where they basically are allowed to pass on. Because if they pass on, on outside of that, you know, if they surpass the 400 years outside of that, um, I, I don't know if they said what happens to them, you know, is not, you know, as peaceful or something. I don't know. But basically, they go to the mountains of the blue beyond, and they're able to pass on in peace, and basically, you know, be there for anybody else to, you know, come along and maybe, you know, have an apple to eat or something like that. Because that's basically what happens. Uh, basically, uh, long story short, like I said, David and his wife uh, end up going to the mountains along with a friend who's also whose time is also up on the on the earth. And in the end, they end up turning into trees. And the pet fox or companion that always would accompany David, of course, is saddened by this. But then that sadness goes away when he meets up with another gnome that obviously is looked at as the next David gnome. And he has a fox um, as well, a female one, a vixen. So you kind of get an idea that, uh, what was it, Philippe? Uh, uh, Philippe? I think that was uh, David Fox's name. No, Swift. Oh, I think it was Swift. Uh, you kind of get the indication that Swift and the female fox that we find out called, whose name is Agnes, become an item at the end. And I, I think that kind of leads into the spin-off series uh, later on. But yeah, The World of David the Gnome, to me, was a series that really stuck with me for a while. It was a show I enjoyed watching as a kid. Uh, you can rewatch right now, as far as I know, you can rewatch all the episodes here on YouTube. They are uploaded. I don't know who's uploaded them, but you can watch them here on YouTube. And you could see for yourself exactly why I, as a kid, enjoyed watching the show growing up. And I think if you show it to your kids today, they'll enjoy it as well. But that's all for number 14. Now, on to number 13. Alright, at number 13 
is Superbook. And no, we're not talking about the new Superbook that obviously is a success um, to a lot of kids and everything, or success as far as, you know, spreading the gospel to kids and all that. No, we're talking about the Superbook that I grew up with in the 1980s, the anime that came from Japan that was actually... Um, like I said, the anime that came out of Japan that was actually paid for, I think, by CBN at that time. CBN, I think, contributed, was a major contributor and distributor of the anime. And I remember watching the original anime of Superbook back when I was a kid. And it was one of the shows that my mom honestly would plot me and even my older sisters in front of to watch because of what it was about. Uh, the premise basically, just like the new one, is you have these um, two young kids or three young kids and this robot called Gizmo. And I think later on, the dog, the Yorkshire dog, that get transported into the Bible or into certain stories of the Bible because, you know, of the lesson they may have to learn that uh, attributes itself to that episode. And... The way they would tell it, the way they would have the kids interact was interesting because you didn't have any... I mean, because think about it. If you're someone from modern times and you get transported into biblical times, you don't think you're going to stand out in front of people? Well, obviously, nobody um, in the biblical stories that they would get transported into said anything. Uh, they didn't, you know, you know, berate them for what they were wearing. They didn't say anything or anything like that. They just, you know, accepted them for who they were and just treated them like they were everybody else. So, or anybody else, I should say. This also came especially when they would do the stories on Jesus. And, of course, they did touch upon Jesus being born. They did touch upon... Um, his crucifixion and his resurrection, and they did a decent job at it. I mean, by having the the kids be there when it, and witness it with their own eyes was actually pretty cool because you could just you know visualize yourself in those kids' uh, place uh, places, I should say. You know, seeing this, you know, witnessing this for the first time instead of just reading about it. Now, of course, Superbook had more than just one season. I think the next season or two, uh, I don't know if it was the next season or two seasons afterwards, but they had an, another, uh, the, the one of those seasons, I don't know if it was the second or third season, but one of them focused more on the youngest member. I think it was the baby brother or something like that. But it focused more on the youngest member, the youngest kid in the group, not our two main protagonists, but the youngest member. And I don't know who came up with the idea, but basically they would cause the kid and the Yorkshire dog to um, get you know, sent into and trapped into the world of the Bible and separated. Yeah, they would get separated. Again, I don't know what happened. I don't know if the gizmo robot had a malfunction. But basically, long story short, the kid would go on journeys to try to find the dog. And every time it looked like he was successful, the dog would get transported to another part of the Bible or something like that. Another era in the Bible. Now, eventually, they did reunite. I think it was towards the end of the season. But... Yeah, it was kind of a, when I look back on it now, it was kind of a strange direction for them to take to continue the series. 
I mean, you did have the two main protagonist kids have to go eventually into the Bible themselves, or at least try to. And when they did, they were finally able to, I guess, help the the young the younger member, the younger kid, and the dog reunite or something. Again, it was really interesting. It was a really interesting uh, turn that they took in that season, but still, it didn't you know it didn't detract on how good the series was, especially if they wanted to you know tell stories of the Bible uh, to the younger viewers. So, and obviously that was CBN's uh, intention when they helped distribute and uh, pay for this series to become a reality. And again, it was one of those series that my mom would plot me and my sisters in front of, and even our cousins in front of when they would come to visit, because of the message it was sending, the lessons it was teaching. So overall, Superbook, it was good. And it's a show that, yeah, I grew up with in the 1980s, and that's why it's at number 13 on this list. And now, on to number 12. All right, at number 12 is the Centurions. Yeah, I know that might surprise a lot of people, but again, just like with Turbo Teen, this was a show that, because of the premise of it, really attracted my attention. And as a kid, I couldn't help but watch it. Now, this was a show that was aired in syndication, and just like with Superbook uh, that I just talked about previously, it was one of those shows that came on early in the morning, and it was one of the shows that when my mom decided to uh, take a day off from doing homeschooling with me, um, she would plot me in front of the television to let me watch. And again, it was one of those shows that came on early in the morning, like 8 or eight or 7 in, in, in the morning. And it was also a show that I think when it first premiered, it came on um, Saturday mornings and then moved to Sunday mornings syndicatedly uh, from network television. And then I think went to USA Express, uh, Cartoon Express, and again, that's how I was able to, you know, watch the show uh, growing up. But again, it was one of the shows that, like I said, really attracted my attention and really got me invested uh, in the show and in the characters. Now, of course, it did do the one thing it's primarily supposed to do, or any show was supposed to do at that time, any animated series, you know, was supposed to do at that time. You know, it was it advertised uh, the toys, or it was po basically that's what its purpose was to advertise the selling of toys, and it worked because I do remember having like one or two uh, Centurions as a kid. I think I had um, uh, the Ace character who was the blue Centurion, and. Um, I think uh, I had Jake, I think the green centurion. I think Jake was the green one. I, I can't remember. Maybe you guys can correct me. Um, but I had the green centurion and the blue centurion. I'll put it that way. And I don't know what it was. I don't know if they were cheaper to get for parents. I don't know if they were cheaper for parents to buy as toys. Because they were distributed, I think, by Kenner. So that might make, so that might be the answer right there. I think Kenner was always like cheaper than Hasbro and all them. But yeah, I remember having some of these uh, toys. I didn't have any of the vehicles as far as I know. I can't really remember I've had the vehicles. But I do remember having some of the Centurion toys. And I enjoyed them. I really did. I think the reason my parents got me the uh, Ace McLeod one, the the Blue Centurion, is for the fact that I think he was the one that was able to do water or something like that. 
and you know he was able to swim in water or something maybe that was the Jake Rockwell I, I can't can't remember which one I don't know if it was the green one or not but one of them was given to me because they were able to float they were able to be in water a little bit and anytime I would take a bath as a kid or my parents would have me take a bath as a kid um, I would play with that toy in there and I think it did kind of float a little bit um, overall though again like I said I enjoyed the series I really did I do believe I watched all the episodes, although at that time, 60 to 65 episodes syndicated, that's a lot for a kid to watch, you know, especially when it comes to a lot of shows. So, uh, you know, many of us can't really remember if we watched from beginning to end. I mean, there are some of us that can, but some of us that can't. And, you know, Centurions is one of those shows that I can't truly remember if I watched from beginning to end. I probably did. Um, they did add on two more Centurions later on at the end of the series. Um, I'm kind of surprised they didn't let the Crystal character, I think that's what her name was, who was the main operationist of the uh, base, of the uh, uh, Sky Vault, as they called it, in space, the headquarters. Uh, I'm surprised they never gave her a chance to be a Centurion. I don't know if they did an episode on that or not, but I know nowadays if Centurions was to get rebooted, there's no doubt that Crystal would be a character that would be integrated into the Centurion roster, you know, as a Centurion. Uh, but overall, uh, I liked the series as a kid. Again, the premise of the series is what really attracted me to watching it. And I can't really say any more than that. So, yeah, number, number 12 is the Centurions. And now on to number 11. All right, at number 11 is Jace and the Wild Warriors. And again, just like with Centurions, Jace and the Wild Warriors had a premise on there that, you know, really piqued my interest. You know, characters transforming into vehicles, you know, that being the antagonists, you know, the monster mimes, if you will. Um, but then you also had the vehicles and stuff that Jace and his crew would would use and they would kind of transform from being one form to another and um, like I said you had Jace's Jason his crew's vehicles transform into uh, different uh, different shapes at times or uh, kind of combine with other vehicles so it was really interesting it was really intriguing I know I use that word, those two words a lot here, so, I'm so I do apologize. But anyway, it, it was indeed that because the premise was basically, you know, I mean, they say it in the title. They say it in the intro. You know, Jace is trying to reunite with his father to, you know, merge the magic root and stop the monster minds and all that. I don't know if they do it. I think they do. I'm not really sure. Uh, but it is an interesting premise. MS, um, not just because of the fact that, again, it's a show meant to sell toys as well, but of how some of the characters come about. I mean, you have uh, the character of Flora, I think that's her name, who is a human girl that's actually a plant. She's a plant girl, but she's a, she has a human appearance. So, you know, it's, you know, you got all these characters, you got this one guy, I can't think of his name, who's kind of like, uh, 
kind of like a Han Solo-like character, and then you got the wizard. Um, it's just a fun show to watch, and I can't say any more than that because, you know, it's just one of those shows that you may look at how it's presented, you may look at the premise and be like, what the blank were they thinking with this? But as you watch the show, you know, as you watch the show, as it moves along and everything, you know, it's really intriguing. It's really, it's really something to to behold. I mean, you even have this little uh, knight character who was um, kind of like the sidekick or the uh, assistant to Jace's dad, and it's kind of the same way to Jace um, in the series. And it's really fun. It's really a fun uh, series overall. Like I said, you, like I said, the premise may kind of be a little like confusing at first but as you watch the show and it progresses it's it's good and they have to go and here's the thing there is continuity in it they have to go through a lot of trials and everything at times to kind of you know complete their journey or to you know so they could find jace's father uh there's even one episode i think rob the wonderful when he talked about the series uh, brought this up where they end up on basically this ice-like planet, this ice or crystal-like planet that will crystallize anything in its path, and it ends up crystallizing the entire crew except for Jace. They turn into crystal statues. Uh, the little knight character, again, I can't think of his name, uh, he ends up being the last one to be crystallized, but he gets crystallized into what looks like a, a brick or a piece of the wall because he's trying to you know, move Jace from being crushed by this crystal stuff and being crystallized, and he ends up sacrificing himself, and he becomes basically a part of the crystal wall. He's like, he becomes an extra piece now or something. And if you're wondering, yes, they do get restored, even though it makes it look like, even though it does show Jace kind of like being anger, being in anger of the loss of his friends, you know, they do get restored, so you don't have to worry about that. I mean, that's the one thing about a lot of shows back then and even now, and even in other mediums like comics. Just because they might, you know, have a character sacrifice themselves to something, it doesn't mean they're going to stay that way forever. You know, it's only to increase the plot of the show, or increase the plot, or you know, of the, uh, of the episode, of the plot of the episode. Kind of increase the dramaticness, if you will. Uh, overall, though, Jason the Will Warriors is definitely a show that I highly recommend checking out if you've not seen it yet. You can buy the complete series uh, online through Amazon, through Mill Creek. I think, I'm not really sure, but I think you can watch it on Amazon Prime. I think you can watch it also here on YouTube. Again, I'm not totally sure. Uh, I don't know if they're for free or not, but you can watch the episodes online. But like I said, you can watch the episodes online. Again, I'm not sure if you're for free or anything, but you can watch them online. So overall, I highly recommend Jason the Real Warriors as something to check out. Because to me, as a kid, watching the show when it came on, and it was one of those shows that honestly came on at a, at a certain time. It came on, I think, around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, I would watch it uh, when I was a kid, and that's what gained my interest for it, you know, every time. So, yeah, Jason the Wild Warriors definitely is a show that I enjoyed watching, and that's why it's at number 11 here on this list, and now on to number 10.
At number 10, I'm pretty sure you knew this was going to be on the list. It is the Smurfs. And I know you're thinking, well, shouldn't the Smurfs be a little higher or lower? Well, that's your opinion. And in my opinion, I like the Smurfs growing up. I may not be fond of what they did with them recently with the live-action live action CGI movie. But, you know, that's just my opinion. I mean, everybody's got a mixed reactions to those. As well as they probably have a mixed reaction to the third movie, which was all animated. So, you know, what are you going to do? But, again, as a kid growing up in the 80s, loved watching the Smurfs. It was one of the Saturday morning shows that I knew the moment me and my sisters woke up, we turned on um, we turned on AB, uh, NBC, I should say. We turned on NBC, and we would watch because it was one of the first cartoons that would air in the morning. Now, I know they would move it across different time slots uh, throughout, the, throughout um, its run, but it was mainly always aired like right at the beginning, like between 7 and 8 o'clock. And we ate it up. Me and my sisters ate it up. Now, of course, Smurfs did kind of come under fire, just like uh, D&D did, Dungeons & Dragons did back at that time. Uh, due, to the, due, to, due to basically what it was based around, or uh, people assumed it was based around. Because I could tell you there were numerous times that, uh, well, not numerous times, but for some time, not a long time, but for some time, you know, my mom would not let me and my sisters watch the Smurfs because she felt it wasn't, uh, uh, it, she felt basically it wasn't representing, it was representative, basically she felt it was very representative of, you know, of darkness, of evil, of, you know, you know, magic and stuff that you shouldn't believe in. You know, kind of along the same veins as Dungeons and Dragons. But as time has gone on, basically, my mom became more receptive of the fact that, okay, maybe Smurfs isn't as bad as Dungeons and Dragons is, but, you know, still got to be careful with it. But what I'm saying is that she actually let us watch it when we were kids. She wasn't so, you know, restrictive of it as time went on, because basically, if you were to uh, give her a choice between, you know, okay, what animated show do you want your kid to watch at this time on a Saturday morning? Do you want them watching Dungeons and Dragons or Smurfs? She would choose the latter. She would choose Smurfs. Because even though it has the mythicalness and all that, it doesn't feel like it's something that's really that bad. You know, and really that dark or anything. And it doesn't have, obviously, the controversy that Dungeons & Dragons had along with it that made news media outlets, you know, across the globe. Uh, but yeah, Smurfs, to me, I thought was a good show. Uh, really enjoyed it. Um, and just like any show at that time, it ended up getting a theatrical film called The Magic Flute, which I think you can find on Netflix. I think you can find it on Stars uh, as well. I don't really know. Stars Encore. I don't really know. You can find it somewhere online. I think it's Netflix, Stars Encore, and I think Tubin. You can find it at. I'm not really sure. Don't quote me on that. But you can find it someplace. I think you can find it on Hulu as well. I don't really know. I think you can find it here on YouTube as well. Uh, but anyway, uh, The Smurfs to me was a great show watching, great show to watch growing up. And you could tell as they, you know, uh, progressed throughout the years, the 10 years of existence. Yeah, this show went for 10 years, guys. It's about 10 years. It, this show, and what, and Friendship is Magic to just, 
ended its animated run last year. These two shows, no one would have expected to last as long as they did or gain the popularity they did with fans. But, you know, but lo and behold, here you go. <laughs> but yeah, Smurfs to me, uh, it was a, it's a great property. It was a great, you know, it was a great show to watch as a kid. And like I said, I liked how they were progressing within the years and how the animation got a lot better with the show. And when they started finally focusing as well on specials and all that, that they would air, you know, in the place of a regular episode. I like how the animation was more smoothed out, felt more fluid in a sense. And I can't really say any more than that. I mean, I'm glad they're coming back with a new series next year, uh, within the next two years or something like that on Nickelodeon. Uh, but Smurfs, to me, is a show that, again, when, you, when people tell you about Saturday mornings... When people talk to you about Saturday mornings, this is one of the shows they talk to you about. I mean, you want to know how long this show was on? You go to YouTube. You go and look up Saturday morning previews. And you scroll around and you find the NBC 1989 Saturday morning preview. And they have the Smurfs previewed in that um, special. And that special was hosted kind of in, in continuity, in character, uh, in the world of the new series at that time, the original Save by the Bell. So check that out if you want. But that gives you an idea of how long the Smurfs were around. So yeah, at number 10... Can't go. You can't do a you know top fifteen cartoons that you grew up with um, in the eighties list without including the Smurfs. So now on to number nine. Number nine is Silverhawks. Now, again, this is a show that I watched back when I was a kid. Uh, this was a show that came on, I can specifically remember this, guys. It came on KTVU 2 around 2 o'clock, two, between 2, two o'clock and 3 o'clock in the afternoon in the mid-80s. And it was a show I loved. I could not get enough of this show. I think, it, like I said, I think it was between the 2 o'clock and 3 o'clock hour it came on. And again, I could not get enough of this show. Now, unfortunately, it didn't last too long. I think it only went for one season, maybe a, se a season and a half. Like one season and half a season. But Silverhawks was pretty cool. I mean, the concept of the fact that you had this, you know, this fighting force con you know, consisted of cyborgs that, you know, when they... When they have to go into battle in space, they put their helmets down, and that kind of, you know, activates their, their powers, their abilities. Now, what's interesting about this is um, you had one Silverhawk. I can't think of his name right now, but he was a cowboy character. And unfortunately, he didn't have the ability to do what the other Silverhawks did, you know, fly in space, spread the rings and all that to do and stuff. You know, he didn't have that ability. 
But what he did have the ability was playing his guitar, and when he would play a certain chord or note on that guitar, it would allow part of their ship to separate into a a fighter jet or something like that, or something like that. It's not a Tie Fighter, but basically like a fighter jet that he would utilize in battle. So he contributed in that way. Uh, overall, it was a pretty good concept. I mean. The cast of characters you had, you had the leader, of course. You had siblings that were twins, a sister and a brother. You had a mime character as part of the team. And then, of course, you had the cowboy guy. And they were led by, uh, I can't think of this other guy's name, but they were led by this individual who was kind of like a police officer or something like that. So that kind of made the Silverhawks basically like a police force, a crime-fighting force. And again, it was a fun concept. I mean, the enemies, the main antagonists they went up against kind of had like a, a similar ability to where, you know, he would basically, when it was time to go into battle, you know, he would call upon this power to allow him and uh, whatever um, being or an, a creature he had on hand to become basically armored cyborgs themselves. It was a great show. I mean, I can't say, I can't say any more about the show because... Talking about it doesn't do it justice. You have to watch it for yourself. But it was one of the shows that I remember watching back uh, in the afternoon on KTVU Channel 2 on, um, you know, uh, on, weekday, on weekday afternoons between the 2, two o'clock and 3 o'clock hour. It was one of those shows. And I really, again, I really enjoyed it. I, I just could not get enough of it. So, yeah, Silverhawks, I highly recommend it. But to me, it's the number nine show on my countdown list of cartoons I watched as a kid. And now, on to number eight. All right, at number eight, this shouldn't be a surprise since, you know, I'm a Disney fan. Me and my family are basically a Disney family. It is The Gummy Bears, The Adventures of the Gummy Bears. And this is a show that, honestly, you look at the premise, you would think wouldn't last as long as it did, but it did. From 85 to 1991 is pretty impressive. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. For anybody that's curious as to where Gummy Bears debuted, let me make this perfectly clear. They did not debut on ABC. That was one of the homes later on, on Saturday mornings, but the original home was NBC. Yes, NBC um, aired the Gummy Bears almost kind of like face-to-face or... How do I how do I put how do I put this? They kind of basically aired the gummy bears against one of Disney's other properties, the Wuzzles, which was on CBS. Yeah, they aired the they aired gummy bears around the same time CBS was airing the Wuzzles. So that was pretty uh, interesting if you were a fan. And I think Disney worked it out to where maybe they asked NBC to air the Gummy Bears earlier, so that maybe a half hour earlier, so that if anybody wanted to have their Disney fix on Saturday mornings, they could watch Gummy Bears, then they can watch Wuzzles. I don't know. But yeah, Gummy Bears, like I said, debuted on NBC in 85. Uh, this was at a time when Disney was going back and forth between uh, you know, broadcast networks, 
uh, when it came to airing some of the material. Um, there were times, I think NBC was the primary home at the time of the wonderful world of Disney. And uh, both them and CBS kind of had a deal going back and forth when it came to like primetime holiday specials and all that. Like, you know, NBC would air a few specials here and there, like mostly the, the DTV specials that were based around the holidays. And then, you know, CBS would air other specials, like let's say, you know, Thanksgiving ones, Halloween ones, you name it. Um, but the big coup for NBC at the time, and I think this was the last year they had it before it moved over to CBS, was Mickey's Christmas Carol. And I can tell you honestly, there is a tape. I don't know if I don't know if I still have it. It's probably rotted away now in the in that old house in Oskaloosa, Kansas. But there is a tape that we recorded Mickey's Christmas Carol on. My mom recorded um, the uh, what was it? The Disney Channel special, Ricky Nelson, a brother remembered. And I remember, and I could tell you honestly, I think I put this on DVD somewhere. I have to look because if I did, I will, I will try to at least get the final moments to kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about. But at the end of the Christmas Carol, Mickey's Christmas Carol. You, in the credits, you hear them talking about the Saturday morning stuff, gummy bears, floofer, I think, or foofer, and Fraggle Rock. And then afterwards, you see uh, this ad of red of Fraggle Rock sliding down something, and then just ends right there, kind of the recording stops. Uh, But basically, like I said, Mickey's Christmas Carol was like a big cue for NBC at that time. And having that, along with the wonderful world of Disney, and the ability to air uh, these Disney TV, Disney uh, DTV uh, music specials and all that, allowed them to really help promote uh, the Gummy Bears. And that got a lot of kids' attention to tune in and watch it. And from then on, it became a huge hit. It became a huge uh, success for Disney, uh, to the point that even after... Uh, the 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 distributing license with NBC expired. They realized that hey, keeping gummy bears on Saturday morning is a good idea. Let's move it to ABC, and that's what they did. So yeah, gummy bears was pretty cool. It was a, a great show. I mean, eventually it did become part of the Disney Afternoon in 1990, uh, 30 years ago, and that's basically where the final season really took off. Because this is where you would get the two-part finale, King Igthorn, and then some of the episodes that follow that obviously take place before. Uh, but yeah, overall, it's a great, it's a just a great show to grow up with, and you know, looking back on it now, and the fact that I could watch it any time thanks to Disney Plus, um, it's just fascinating. I mean, I have the first volume of the series. I wish they put out more. Eventually, maybe they will down the line. But like I said, I have the first volume of the series. I recorded the series on DVD. You know, you know, just enjoyed watching it when it was on Toon Disney when I was living in Kansas. Living in Lawrence, Kansas, that is. I had Toon Disney, and I enjoyed watching uh, the series on there. So it was just fun. 
and um, I can't say any more than that. So yeah, Gummy Bears was definitely a show that, again, just like with Smurfs, when you think about Saturday mornings, you know, growing up with Saturday mornings and all that, you know, it's one of those shows that um, you can't think about, think, can't think about out and smile without, you know, you know, remembering, remembering waking up and, you know, um, getting a bowl of cereal and, you know, it's like getting a bowl, bowl of cereal and sitting down and watching because they were like one of the first shows you would see. So anyway, that's about it for Gummy Bears at number nine. On now to number, well not nine, but number eight. Sorry, I kind of misspelled it. I'm sorry if I said nine, guys. I do apologize. It's number eight. I kind of lost track there. So now on to number seven. And again, I do apologize if I kind of miscounted on some of these or I lost track of the, of the numbers that they're listed at. But now on to number seven. Gummy Bears was number eight. Now on to number seven. All right, at number seven, yes, number seven, <laughs> like I said, I do apologize for that mishap there, uh, but at number seven, it's a tie. It is a tie between Jem and My Little Pony, Generation One. Now, you might say to yourself, well, Brian, why do you got these on the list? These are girl shows, aren't they? Well, you see, at that time, yes, but looking back in it, growing up, you know, all grown up and everything, I should say. You know, looking back on it, these were shows that were very impactful. I mean, these were basically, along with the other shows I'll talk about later, laid the foundation for what would be known as the Hasbro universe. I mean, these were the shows that basically, you know, put helped put Hasbro on the map. They, they really did. I mean, when people talk about the big four of Hasbro in the 80s, of course, they're going to add these two along with the other two I'll talk about later. But yeah, these were part of the big four. Now, unfortunately, Jem did not get a feature-length film, although there were plans for her to get one, I think around 1988-89, an animated one, that is, but she never did. I think it was 88 they were planning for the release. But My Little Pony, they got a movie. But what's funny is they got a movie only... Only basically two primetime specials in to their existence. Yeah, two primetime specials into their existence. My Little Pony got a movie, the original 86 My Little Pony movie. And uh, unfortunately, just like another movie that came out that year, even though nowadays it's got a cult following and people kind of see it for the charm that it has, box office wise, it wasn't a big success. It was, you know, it just, it just didn't have that feel that was needed to really make it a success that, you know, Hasbro was hoping for. And this, of course, along with the other box office bomb, you know, led to another feature film being a direct-to-video, direct-to-television release and led to the Gem movie being scrapped. However, like I said, these two shows, along with the ones I'll mention later, did leave an impact on everybody's childhood growing up. I mean, 
Again, if you think Jim and My Little Pony G1 were just for girls, you know, originally you would think that. I mean, I could tell you honestly that I really wasn't that interested in Jim or My Little Pony G1. But if I had to watch them, mainly because, you know, it was raining outside or, you know, there was nothing else to do, um, I would watch them. You know, I would watch them because, of course, being a kid, six, seven years old, you know, you don't know any better, you know, with a, you don't really know any better except for the fact that, hey, it's a cartoon and, you know, it's something to watch, something to keep me entertained. But what really, I think, when you look back on it now, when it comes to a lot of them, to, oh, to both shows, I should say, what really won us over at times is the action and adventure that was in each of them and the diversity. I mean, Jim and the Holograms is a great example of diversity. There's no doubt about that. I mean, look at the band members, especially going into the second and third seasons. And then if that's not enough, that's not enough. They also incorporated some action and adventure in there, which was pretty cool. Which was, which was pretty cool when you look back on it, because you wouldn't expect something like Jim to have action and adventure, but she does. And... Oh, but she did, and it was, like I said, pretty cool uh, to see. It was actually pretty cool to watch because, again, looking back on it now, you know, looking back on it now, you kind of appreciate that what Hasbro was trying to do is they were trying to appeal not just primarily to girls because the toys they were selling were kind of like Barbie doll-like toys. There was no doubt about that. But they were also trying to appeal to boys with the action and adventure. I mean, why do you think they added in Rio as Jem's love interest in the series? Because they knew, you know, if they needed uh, an action guy in there for, or a guy in there for some action scenes, throw punches and all that, Rio would be it. And he's done that, and he did that several times in the series. And, like, and here's the thing, Jem wasn't the only one that tried to be diverse. When you look back at G1, My Little Pony, uh, you would think at first, again, just like Jim, it's mainly for girls. But what they do later on, especially towards the end, really kind of helps out. Even what they did at the beginning when they first introduced MLP, you know, is, you know, can really get your attention. Because I can tell you honestly, when they did Return slash Escape from Midnight Castle, the pilot... You know, as a primetime special, I don't think we did see it when it came out originally. But when they added it to the episodic circulation uh, of the series while it was running in syndication, you know, while, while it was running in syndication, I should say, um, a lot of people finally got a chance to see that episode. And it garnered a lot of people's attention. It garnered not just a young girl's attention, but it garnered the boys, the young boys as well. Because you're looking at this special, knowing okay, it's inter- it's it's an animated, um, it's an animated uh, version of the girls franchise, My Little Pony. It's appealing to girls and all that. It's got songs and all that. But then all of a sudden, you see this the original version of T-Rex show up and you see what his plans are. You see the character of Scorpan and and Spike and it's like, oh, and and you're like, holy crap, what is this? You know, again, looking back on it now, you realize that they were trying to appeal to both genders. They were. 
And My Little Pony tried doing that even more so towards the end of the series, uh, that being G1, towards the end of the series, when they started introducing the Big Brother Ponies. Yeah, the Big Brother Ponies. They were introducing these characters towards the end, and they did this because they were trying to appeal to both genders. And it wasn't just that either. You know, in G1, they had human characters called, you know, main human characters, allies, you know, one of them being Megan. And then, you know, along with Megan, she had her younger sister and she had her younger brother. And when I look back on it now, and I think I thought about this too back then as a kid, it was kind of reminiscing of me and my siblings, except uh, Danny, who was the uh, brother, would have to switch with the younger sister when it comes to age because I was the youngest in my family and my second oldest sister was the second oldest. So, so yeah, basically you'd have to age reverse uh, the ages of the Danny character and the younger sister of Megan to kind of to kind of make it look very identical uh, to to me and my sister's age range, if you know what I mean. But anyway, though they had they had him in there to basically again appeal to the boys as well because. You know, he would try to act all tough. He would get, act all tough and and everything, not to show much emotion. You know, try to be try to be old boy, kind of be that representation, if you will. But then you had Spike, and I like how they kind of bond had those two characters bond together in the series series as well. And you also had episodes dedicated to Spike, who was trying to find his own purpose and stuff. So overall, you know. G1 of My Little Pony, despite the fact that just like Jim, its primary target its primary target audience was girls, obviously Hasbro was trying to appeal to both genders at the time, both girls and boys. And that's why, and number seven, yes, number seven, you know, tied at number seven, Jim and the Holograms and My Little Pony G1 are um, slated and now are slated. And again, if you have not checked, and here's the thing, if you have not checked out these original versions, which I'm sure you have, but if you haven't, you're doing yourself a disservice, go check them out. So now on to number six. Number six is Thundercats. Yes, Thundercats. And what more can I say about Thundercats? I mean, you take a look between them and Silverhawks. Thundercats ended up being the most successful out of the Rankin-Bass animated series that they did back then. It ran for about, what was it, two, two three seasons? I think two seasons. Uh, thanks to Frank Hill, it's Frank. I have a majority. I have the entire set. I have the entire set of Thundercats, so thank you, thank you to him for that. Uh, but, yeah. You know, Thundercats, again, was one of those shows that was really intriguing. And you would think, with the premise that it had and the enemy that it had, that it would be a show that would be not, not would be the kind of show that was not suitable for kids of religious backgrounds or beliefs. But it was one of those shows, just like with Smurfs, that despite maybe a bit of controversy at first, 
became a success and they were people were able to look past it because again i think the thing was you present them a choice hey do you you want your kids what do you choose you want your kids to watch dungeons and dragons or thundercats what do you think they're going to choose you know what i'm saying <laughs> uh, anyway though yeah thundercats to me was a great show i loved it uh, i love the fact that as the series progressed um you know they added new characters they added new. Um, they added new characters. They added new. Um, uh, you know, new um, new parts of the lore of Thundera and everything. I really, I really enjoyed it, and it was one of those shows that, you know, growing up watching it around the two o'clock to three o'clock hour again on KTVU Channel Two. Um, I loved it. I just couldn't get enough of it, and I. And I especially was happy when Cartoon Network brought it back, made it part of Toonami. And I'm even more happy now that Hulu has it, along with the 2011 reboot, which a lot of people feel that if any show had a great reboot and revival that stayed true to the spirit of Thundercats and went beyond it, it was the 2011 one. So overall, though, I really enjoyed Thundercats as a kid. Uh, Never had any of the toys, unfortunately, but... You know, watching the series was good enough than anything, and I can't really say any more than that. So, um, highly recommend watching it if you've not seen it. Again, you can now see it on Hulu. Check it out. I think you will. Ha- I I truly believe what I'm trying to say is I truly believe you will not regret watching this series again. It was just something to watch it. And here's what's funny: in between the two o'clock to three o'clock hour. When Thundercats came on, they came on back-to-back with Silverhawks. And if you think about it now, as a fan of both, you would think they were trying to allude to the fact that both were in the same continuity. But yeah, at number six is Thundercats. Now on to number five. Number five is Mask. Yes, Mask. And again, just like with Centurions, Jason the Real Warriors, and even Turboteen, Mask attracted me as a kid because of what it was about, the premise and everything. You know, the fact that you had this crew of people, men, mostly males, and I think one or two females in there, that when they would put on these helmets... They would be able to, I guess, connect or have some kind of control uh, over their vehicles that look like standard vehicles, but in reality were actually armored assault vehicles, which, if that makes any sense. But yeah, they were armored assault vehicles. Basically, like, you had this semi-truck that, you know, became more than that, became like an, a, a ta- well, it wasn't a tank, but obviously became like a battle station or battle car battle vehicle same with um what was it a a chevrolet ferrari like thing Uh, michael mercer check out michael mercer here on youtube he could tell you more about that uh but he but basically the premise again of the show of having not just the good guys the mask team you know having these abilities but you also had the antagonist venom doing it as well and that really brought a lot of um, intrigue and interest to me as a kid. Because, again, just like with Chase, just like with Centurions, Tilbotine, and then the show later on I'm going to talk about, it just had that 
you know, it just had that feel to it that, you know, if you buy the toys, always, you would have fun playing with them. And I think, just like with the Centurions, my parents bought me some of the toys. I don't know if they bought me the vehicle, the car. I don't know if they uh, bought me the car, which I think Matt Tracker, I think that was his name, drove. Or they bought me the uh, semi-truck. I can't remember. But I know they bought me one of them. I know they bought me one of them, and I really enjoyed playing with them um, as a kid. And overall, the show was just fun to watch. And it was a show that aired in the afternoon on KBHK, known as KBCW now, but KBHK 44 in syndication. And it aired around, I think, the same time Thundercats and Silverhawks did, or it may have aired afterwards. I don't really know. But I enjoyed watching it and could not get enough of it. I mean, again, you want to show that, you know, you could sink your teeth into as a kid that had a similar premise to what you had seen in previous shows that you were a fan of. This was that show. This was that show. And what I like about it is now it's part of the Hasbro universe and has the potential to be a Hasbro cinematic property in the future. I mean, it's already doing Hasbro crossovers with... With other properties, excuse me there, but with other properties, if you if you want a good example, check out the uh, check out the crossover comic that IDW did along with Hasbro called Revolution, I think. I think it's called uh, Revolution, I believe. Yeah, it's called uh, Revolution. You know, check that out. Check that out. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But yeah, Mask overall is a great series and. Highly recommend people watch it uh, if they've not. If you can watch it, I think you'll be able to find it online somewhere. But again, watch this series if you've not. Because to me, you'll see, because in my opinion, you'll see why as a kid back in the 80s, it was so appealing. And now, on to number four. Number four is another tie, but they're actually basically the same kind of premise, show, continuity. He-Man and She-Ra. And we're not talking the new She-Ra, we're talking the original OG She-Ra that got introduced in the uh, cinematic movie, the animated movie pilot, if you will, theatrical animated movie pilot for her series, uh, The so- uh, the Secret of the Sword. She-Ra, He-Man and She-Ra, and what can I say about these shows that nobody else has ever seen, ever said yet? I mean, if you want a lot of good information on it, they have a documentary on Netflix called The Power of Grayskull. Check that out. I've just begun watching it a little bit myself. I might check that out tonight while I'm eating dinner. But it, but obviously, again, what can I say that nobody else has said? I mean, if you want people showing you the love for the original filmation, He-Man and She-Ra, check out Clownfish TV. Check out Clownfish TV. Search She-Ra, He-Man, Clownfish TV. And listen to what Geeky Sparkles and Neon have to say about He-Man and She-Ra. I mean, you want to talk about people that are fans of both the of both these shows, of the original OGs of them? You know, they are an exemplification, an exemplification, easy for me to say, of people that love the original material and feel that it shouldn't be messed with. 
So yeah, He-Man and She-Ra, I can't say any more than that. I mean, I can tell you honestly, though, uh, one thing is that as a kid, I think I've mentioned this before, when He-Man would come on, again, it was one of those shows that was kind of iffy with my mom, but she knew, okay, you know, it's going to keep him entertained, it doesn't really have anything bad. And, you know, obviously there's no reports of something appearing in the house because, you know, uh, you, know, play, uh, you know, playing with the figures or, or playing with the game or anything like that. So, again, um, she let me watch it. And, it, like I said, you want an example of me and my sisters kind of enjoying the same thing or kind of like, okay, I watched my portion, now you're going to watch your shows. Uh, I would watch He-Man and my sisters would watch She-Ra. I'm not I'm not lying about that. I am not lying. They would watch He-Man. I would watch I mean they would I would watch He-Man is what I'm saying. They would watch She-Ra. And then when they would start doing and then what was interesting is when we found out about the Secret of the Sword as a movie, I think we rented it or watched it as it came on television and then the five parts and all that. But when we watched that, that kind of gave us an idea of, oh wait a minute. These are the same, they're within the same universe or same continuity. Heck, we'll watch, we can watch both together. And that's what we did as kids. You know, anytime there was a She-Ra episode that had He-Man, I was right there with my sisters watching it. So, yeah, again, I can't say any more about these two, uh, two shows that I grew up with in the 80s and watched. And again, this was around the 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock hour uh, and I think it was, was it KTVU2 or was it KBHK? I don't know. I also know there was another station as well. There was KICU36. They aired some shows. So I don't know if it aired on KICU. And I don't know if it aired on Coffee, which is K-O-F-Y 20. I don't know. It was one of those four stations. I can't remember. But I do remember watching it anytime it came on and enjoying it. So, yeah, number four, tied. Right, at number four, He-Man and She-Ra. Can't say any more than what other people have said. Now, on to number three. Number three is another tie, but obviously for me, growing up in the 80s, especially the late 80s, um, watching these shows back to back, even if I have to switch from one station to another, was worth it. Now, I've mentioned before, basically as a kid, um, I think I've mentioned this, you know, we had, I had a VHS tape where I would record two hours worth of shows every day for the six hour duration of that, show, of that tape. And sometimes I'd have to re-record over an episode or something just to re-record <laughs> record or something like that. Oh, did I? Oh, did, no, no, I don't think I did. I think after I recorded six hours worth earth of material, which was basically um, 80 minutes each. So you're looking at like 80, 160, which is like two hours and, and 40. You know, after basically doing like five days, four to five days worth of, of shows, I took the tab off the VHS and made sure it didn't record over again. But like I said, you... This tape is a prime example. If I could ever find it again, I don't think I will, but if I could ever get my hands on it somehow, this tape is an example of my childhood. Because back to back, you had Rescue Rangers and you had Ninja Turtles. That's what it was. Rescue Rangers, Ninja Turtles. 
I mean, this is how the lineup went for me on my tape. Alvin and the Chipmunks, Super Mario Brothers Super Show, Rescue Rangers, Ninja Turtles. That's how it went. I'm not lying. I'm not lying about that. And I remember recording those back-to-back when we lived um, in the San Lorenzo. Um, in ba- basically, when we lived around the, I guess you could say, kind of like what my sister lives right now in Modesto. She lives in what's known as the Empire section of Modesto. So we lived like kind of on the border of San Lorenzo and, um, and Hayward. So we lived in that vicinity. And I remember just recording with this tape all those episodes, enjoying them, having fun with them. And back-to-back back, back was Chippendale. Every day was Chippendale Rescue Rangers Ninja Turtles. Chippendale Rescue Rangers Ninja Turtles. And they became so inferential to me. Oh, inferential. Influential, easy for me to say. Inferential to me as a kid that I could not get enough of them. And I'm glad, I, and you know what, I was happy to know that I wasn't alone in my family watching them. My older sister enjoyed watching them as well. She loved Rescue Rangers, she loved Ninja Turtles. You know, she, she took me and my uh, cousin to go see the first movie, and the second. So, in, in theaters, by the way, at the Southland Mall. So, it was just fun, it was just a fun time. And again, my sister was such a fan of both of them, and you know, both shows, that there were times that you would walk into her and my older sister's room, and I'm just turning the light off there because it's still daylight outside, uh, but there were times you would go into her and my second older sister's room because they shared a room together. I had one to myself, they shared a room, you kind of get the idea. Um... But anyway, like I said, you there would be times where you know you'd look on the floor, and one of the things she would do is draw. She was a, she, and she's a good artist. She's a good artist. You could you could tell that obviously you could see that obviously from what she was doing, and she would do. I would almost say identical Disney-like uh, renditions of Gadget, of Gadget Hack Wrench. That was just amazing. Just to look on the floor and see her doing her own version of Gadget, identical, drawing her own identical version of Gadget, but with different hair colorings and all that. was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, both shows were great to watch because, you know, they had a, they didn't have a similar premise, but basically it was cool to see, uh, you had a, like one show, which was a Disney show, you had a team, Team of Crime Fighters, and then the next year you had these ninja fighter, these teenage tur- ninja turtles, if you will, that were f- friends with this. Uh, <laughs> I-, I guess a lot of people, even Doug Walker, with a through nostalgia critical by himself, um, would basically find say she was attractive, and that's April O'Neil, you know, with an ally like her and everything, and it was just fun going back and forth between uh, the episodes. It was just fun. Uh, I remember, like I said, one of the final episodes I recorded on that tape, uh, basically were, I think one of them was Carpet Snaggers for Rescue Rangers. I think it was, yeah, I think it, I think what it was, was, um, I think it was Carpet Snaggers 
for Rescue Rangers. And um, what was the other one, I think? I think it, I think it was Carpet Snaggers. And what was the other one? I think the other one was Calories Not Included, I think. I'm not really sure. Oh, no, 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 no. It was the uh, it was the Sherlock Jones one. That's what it was. I think that's what it was. I think it was the Sherlock Jones one and Carpet Snaggers. And then on the flip side of that, because it was back-to-back, we had the big breakout, oh, the big break-in and the big breakout. So... I was able to record all those episodes, those four episodes, before the tape ran out, if you know what I mean, or came close to running out. So, it's really, again, it was really a fun time. And again, that VHS tape was just an example of my childhood right there. I wish I would have kept it, because I'll tell you right now, I enjoyed it. I loved it. I think I may have somewhere put those episodes, at least the Ninja Turtle ones, onto DVD. I have to see. You know, it's to see why I have that DVD ad if I do. But, again, that's just a prime example of, you know, having two good shows back-to-back. The only thing was I had to change from one channel to the other to watch it. Like, Rescue Rangers was on KTVU, uh, KTVU 2, Channel 2, which is now Fox 2, uh, here, in the Bay, here in the California Bay Area. And uh, basically, Ninja Turtles was on KBHK, now KBCW. And again, I just enjoyed watching them. I could not get enough of these uh, specials. Like, I couldn't get enough, period. That, that's the gist of it. I could not get enough of each of these shows. And just the fact that they were back-to-back, even though they were on different networks or different channels, I loved it. I really did. And that's why Ninja Turtles and Rescue Rangers, it's tied, is tied at number three. And now on to number two. So number two, I think it's obvious, you know, if I'm talking about a Top 15 cartoons I watched in the 80s, you know, as a kid. Number two is G.I. Joe. And G.I. Joe, what can I say about G.I. Joe as a kid? It was one of those shows that I loved. And it was part of the big four Hasbro block. They may have not named it that back then because I don't think they were worried about naming two hours of a program animated programming block and syndication after something i don't think they were too worried but gi joe was one of those shows i loved I, I just couldn't get enough of i mean it was just fun to watch i mean the fact that you had and <laughs> I, I mean i can't say any more than i think anybody else has said i mean michael mercy can give you an entire history michael mercy zara nizarak you know, these people could give you an absolute history on G.I. Joe, more so than I can. And I watched G.I. Joe when I was a kid, too. I watched every episode. And I have the complete series. Except for the uh, Deke, uh, the Deke um, interpretation that Hasbro went with, or licensed the franchise out to after... They had a falling out with Saban, or Sumbo, I should say, and uh, Marvel. But besides that, 
I have the other show. I have the main G1, the main uh, first interpretation through Hasbro and Sunbo. It was, I, I just, again, I just can't get enough. I just could not get enough of G.I. Joe. Joe, it was so good. It was so, so good. I mean, the characters were great. You had a complete diversity of characters. Characters not just by race, ace, ace or anything, but also by gender. Also by gender, you had character, you had female butt-kicking characters in there from Lady J, Scarlet, Covergirl, Jinx, you name it. You know, they were in there. Even the freaking bad guys, the, you know, Cobra had some bad butt-kicking women there, like the Baroness, Zorana. I mean, the list could go on. I, 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 like I was saying, even you know Cobra had you know you know bad butt kicking women like the Baroness and Zara and Zorana and again the list just goes on. It was just so good. The show was just so good, and I can't say any more than that because you have to see it to believe it. You have to see why everybody praises a show like this. And just like My Little Pony that I mentioned earlier, it did get a movie. Unfortunately, this was the movie that ended up as the direct-to-video, um, you know, direct-to-television movie um, when it came out because of the fact that, you know, the box office wasn't kind to My Little Pony and the number one mo- show I'm going to talk about in a moment, you know what that one is, it wasn't too kind to them. So because of that, G.I. Joe ended up being... Uh, put to direct-to-video and direct-to-television, and the Gem movie, like I mentioned earlier, was scrapped. But yeah, overall, G.I. Joe is just, again, just one of those shows that, looking back now, you want, you if you're wondering why people are so immersed by this show, so, you know, this franchise, and love the characters, and get upset when certain characters get killed off and they shouldn't be, this, or portrayed in a ways they shouldn't be, this first animated series is that reason. You need to see what I'm talking about. So with that said, now on to number one. And I think anybody that grew up in the 80s like I do know exactly what number one is. All right, at number one... At number one, of course, it's obvious if you grew up in the 80s, Transformers. And what more can be said about Transformers that I, people like Michael Mercer, Optopotamus, Zara Nizarak, Rodimus Primal, you know, Bolt Matrix, and the list goes on. What more can be said about Transformers that no one else has already talked about? I mean, you want to talk a franchise or talk about a franchise that has a long-lasting legacy that continues to this day to the point that the people at Hasbro themselves just recently inked a deal with Netflix to debut the War for Cybertron trilogy, starting with Siege and going to Beast Kingdom and then to Earthrise. Basically, ladies and gentlemen, paying homage to G1, for a more modern take, I mean, if 
I mean, what more can be said? And I have talked about this on numerous occasions. I've talked about this numerous occasions. G.I. Joe and Transformers, I remember it clear as day, aired, when I first saw them, when I first saw them, aired on KTVU2. Now, eventually down the line, KBHK got the license to air um, Transformers on their network, but for a time, they were on KTV, KTVU2, known as Fox 2, back-to-back with G.I. Joe. Back-to-back. And I loved it. And, I'm, and as I mentioned earlier, even though they didn't coin it this way, we essentially, from 3 to 5 o'clock, had the Hasbro block on KTVU. We did. We had, the K, we had the Hasbro block on KTVU, and it was glorious. I mean, for, my, for like the female demographic, for the young girl demographic, like my sisters, you had Jim and My Little Pony. And then for the boys, you had G.I. Joe and Transformers. Now, sometimes they would rotate them, mix them up a little bit. I will admit that. Because sometimes it would be ponies, gem, G.I. Joe, Transformers. But at times they would mix them up, mix them up and be like, ponies, G.I. Joe, gem, Transformers, and so on and so forth. But the thing is, Transformers always concluded, most of the time, um, the, the Hasbro block. There was the two-hour Hasbro block on t- KTVU. There, there was no getting around that. And... It was a fun time. I really enjoyed it. I was happy that I got to see these episodes when I did. And again, like I mentioned earlier, when I talked about the number three, three uh, shows, the number three slot of show, the number three um, tie of shows was Rescue Rangers and TMNT. I had a VHS that had original airings of Transformers on there. I had one, and I had it to the day I moved back here to back here to California. And by now, just like my other VHSs I recorded with, it's probably melted and rotted away. But point being, I had those, and I loved it. I loved recording them. Couldn't get enough of it. I mean. I mean, again, like I said, what more can be said that nobody else has said? Not even myself. I mean, watching the show, my mom plopped me in front of the television because, again, she was homeschooling me. And even though it came on four and a half hours after homeschool, whatever it did, or after we were done doing homeschooling, she put me there because I didn't really have any friends at that time, except for those at church and my cousins. But point is, she plopped me in front of the television, and when Transformers came on, that show hooked me. It hooked me. And any show that I mentioned already prior on this list, from Turbo Teen to Centurions to Jason the Wheel Warriors, all having a similar concept to Transformers, it was because of Transformers that I got invested in those shows. It was because of Transformers that I became a fan of those shows and why those shows became part of the countdown here. Again, you can't talk about 
again, I cannot talk about this series, series and say what no one else has already said. I mean, the fact that I remember, I can recall just sitting there one day, or being, sitting in my room playing my toys or doing something, and my mom calls me to the freaking living room. To the freaking living room. And she says, Brian, take a look what's on. So I go and see. And what do my eyes behold? My eyes behold MTV. My eyes behold the touch music video for Transformers the movie. And this was the first time I ever got to see any footage from the film. And speaking of the movie, just like everybody else, from Michael Mercer, or Michael Mercy, Zara Nazarak, Optoponymous, Rodimus Primal, you know, the list goes on. You know, the Game Chasers. Again, the list goes on. That I remember watching Transformers one day, that one faithful day, Watching it, and the next thing I know, here comes a freaking advertisement for the movie. And, of course, as I've mentioned before, I didn't get a chance to see it in theaters. But the moment me and my family went into the neighborhood video, which we used to shop at, or used to rent movies at, the moment I looked on that billboard, and it said, coming soon, Transformers the movie, here's the freaking date. My parents said, if you do good, if you behave, we'll reserve the movie for you. And they did. And I remember holding that movie in my hand when we got home, placing it, having my dad place it into the v VCR after dinner, and watching it. And I loved it. Now, yeah, of course, I had a big gray pillow, and there were some moments I couldn't see, because, you know, being a kid, you look that they're going to traumatically affect you. Especially when you see your hero in that show be killed off. But besides that, I continued watching Transformers uh, after that, into the final seasons, even with the return of Optimus. I, I just could not, I mean, you could not tear me away from that screen. You could not. You cannot tear me away from that screen. And as far as the movie, when it came on VHS, when it was on VHS, numerous times, numerous times I watched that movie. And I'm not just talking about just the several times here and there. <laughs> I'm talking millions of times to the point that my older sisters are like, you know every single word for scene, scene for scene. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Excuse my language, but yeah, no shit. But, again, it was just one of those shows that I could not take my eyes off of. And even when they did the season five, I guess you could call it a season five, with, <laughs> with the stop motion puppet of Power Master Optimus Prime, I still watched it. When they did the Generation 2 CGI cube effect for Transformers, I watched it. 
going back to the Power Master season, where they have Power Master Optimus Prime with that young kid, Tommy or Timmy or whatever his name was. I remember one day, looking again, I've mentioned this before, I looked through the TV guide, and it said from 9 to 11 Transformers, nothing else was aired. Again, you know, what more can you say that myself and Zara Nizarak and Michael Mercy and others have not said? I mean, it's just one of those shows that, again, you take a look at its influence. It's just so, so renowned and so beloved. I mean, to the point that when the Michael Bay movies came out, people were okay with them because at least there was some reminiscing of G1 in there, not entirely, but some, you know, and that was cool. That was great to see. And it, the fact that we just got, to, and the fact that we all finally got to see live action Transformers was good enough. But if you want to know the appreciation and love that this show has, the impact, the legacy, like I mentioned earlier, that this show has had, don't look any further than, you know, the Bumblebee movie. I mean, if you want a good example, um, I would say check out Angry Joe, check out Andre Meadows' Black Nerd Comedy. They did trailer reactions, secondary or first trailer reactions to the Bumblebee movie. And when you see the reaction, the smile on the face, when they see the G-Run representation in Bumblebee, that is the that right there is an example of the impact and love and legacy that this show has. And again, I like I said before I paused there, I remember watching even up to when they had the Power Master Prime. And I remember one day just looking through the TV guide, and one day it said on KBHK 44, Transformers 9 o'clock, but then it didn't say anything afterwards. Usually it would have, um, you know, something like another episode of Transformers listed at 9.30 and then something else like Jim or, or something, another show like, I, I don't know what other shows they had at that time, but they didn't. Instead it was Transformers at 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock, something else came on. Two hours. And anytime I saw that, that was an indication to me of, the show in the movie. The show in the movie. And sure enough, sure enough, they did. And I told my mom, I know what they're doing. I want to record this. She says, you do good in school, we'll let you record it. And I did. I recorded Transformers the movie in syndication. Now, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. The syndicated version was cleaned up, in a sense. There was no swearing, period, anywhere. But it was pretty much the same movie. It was pretty much the same movie. Just a few things were taken out. Mostly the swearing or something like that. And, and it ended, it concluded with the touch video. Again, what more can you say? What more can you say about that? And I don't know if any of you experienced that as well but believe me when I say that's that that to me is a memory I'll never forget and we were living I'll give you I'll give you the fact 
of the matter. I'll give you a fact right now. We were living on Tamayo Street in Fremont, California when that happened. We were living on Tamayo Street. Right at the end, before we entered that cat rock, we were living in that house on the right. We lived there. And that, that, ladies and gentlemen, is where I recorded the movie. And I kept me, and I kept that VHS close to me up until, like I said, before I moved uh, back to California from Kansas. I enjoyed having it. But again, it just shows you the impact and legacy that a show like that has. That I can remember memories like this. Again, I've talked about this before. I've shown this before. I can remember my 10th birthday. I got Power Master Optimus Prime. My, I got Power Master Optimus Prime. Sorry about that if you heard that. My, my, my lip hit the, uh, the, um, uh, the, uh, the wind cover for the mic. But anyway, I got the original Power Master Optimus Prime. I don't know what happened to it when, as I got older, but over the past year, past couple of years, I got it back. I got back my original Optimus Prime, my original Power Master Optimus Prime. Can't say any more than that. Can't say any more. So, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, I'm going to end the countdown here at number one. Number one is Transformers as the number one show I watched growing up in the 80s and I don't think and I know for sure I'm not alone in that. So till next time guys, guys, God bless, take care, I'm out and thank you all for listening to the top 15, this top 15 countdown. Let me know what your memories are of these shows that you grew up with in the 80s if you did. But until then, guys, God bless, take care, stay safe, I am out.